Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. There are those people that you meet in life that are so multifaceted, so multi-talented that you're just taken aback. Somebody that's brilliant academically, spiritually anointed, and just a great guy to be around. My guest is one of those. Hello, this is Mark Rutland, and this is The Leader's Notebook. I'm delighted today to introduce to you Dr. Mark Chirona. He's the pastor of a tremendous church in the Orlando area, The Living Edge, and author of several books, including a new one that's going to be coming out in July, and it's about that brand new book that I'm the most excited and I want to talk with him. Dr. Chirona, welcome to The Leader's Notebook. Thank you, Dr. Mark. It's an honor to be with you, for sure. You uh, you have uh, such a interesting church there, the Living Edge. I, let me let's start by talking a little bit about that. It's a um, multi generational, multiracial church, very diverse. Uh, was that the was that the dream, or did that just happen organically? Yeah, it it was the dream. It was, I think, um, from its very inception. Uh, obviously, it was the intention that we desired to see realized. And having already done that in Raleigh, North Carolina, the church here in Orlando was the second of, it was the daughter church. And then eventually we transitioned the Raleigh church into other hands. But for sure, it was the intention from the beginning. We changed the name, um, but... Uh, to, to Church on the Living Edge about 2012. It took us about 18 months to bring the people through the transition from the Master's Touch to Church on the Living Edge. But with that, that, that was all tied to coming out of my own personal challenges in a really prolonged season that the book is all about. And that is what the book is about. I, I've preached at the Church of the Living Edge. I love the atmosphere. I love the spirit there, the music, everything. Well, I folks love you. <laughs> they really love you. Wonderful. That's great to hear. I've built an entire ministry on churches with no discernment whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, we, we happen to love you, Dr. Mark. I, I, having met you years ago, at TBN and having the privilege of interviewing you on more than one occasion, I have always been, you have the ability to take scholarship and practicality and marry them in a way that makes it accessible to the body of Christ. And I've always admired that about you. Always. Well, what a nice thing to hear. I love that. And, uh, and if you listeners, if you're in the greater Orlando area and looking for a church that's on the living edge, I love that name. And it is an exciting, fun, diverse church. And I recommend, uh, Dr. Mark Chirona's church in the Orlando area, the church at the living edge. Now, uh, I want to just dive right into this book. I read the book. I've endorsed it. Uh, I read the pre-release manuscript that your that your publisher sent me, and immediately I said, "I, I just I just want to get him on to talk about this book." It is very transparent, dealing with your own struggle with depression and anxiety, particularly. Was it um, 
was it a challenge for you to get to that? Did you, did you struggle at all to put it all in print? I mean, it's one thing to know, to, it's another thing to put it out there for the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, because the season ended halfway through 2010, pretty close to 2011, and we look at where we are now because I wrote it this past year, 2021. I have had many people ask me over the years, when are you going to write about this? And I said, I'm really not ready yet. It's mm. too raw mm. for me. Mm. And um, so even in writing it last year, there were some moments where I had to revisit certain things that it triggered. And I had to work through those as I was writing it. And I realized, okay, uh, given the nature of how the pandemic has affected so many people psychologically, I realized that it really might be pertinent that I not ignore what's going on. And even if I'm going to experience some painful memories, traumatic memories that um, for the sake of people that might be struggling right now, since anxiety and depression have been on the rise in the last two and a half years, I needed to press through that, but I'm really grateful that I did. I'm not afraid of, the fallout or the consequences. I just, I wanted to be as helpful and transparent as possible to invite those that are struggling to realize they're not alone. Uh, I was so impressed with that. And I, I was impressed also with your determination to wed the very best of psychology. There, there's some goofy stuff in psychology. We, you and I both studied it. We know what we're talking about. But the very best of theology and the very best of psychology to work together. I, I wrote a book about it, um, uh, which, I, which, by the way, I premiered at your church. You did, and it was fabulous, just amazing. <laughs> Isn't it amazing, too, that, that so many ministers and Christians struggle with any use of a reference to anything psychological. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's so fascinating that that's become some kind of big battleground. Yeah. You know, sadly, well, you know, like if you and I were alive back in the late 1800s when Freud was becoming the in vogue voice for therapeutic consciousness, we, we probably would have had some major issues with Freud. Of course. Certainly. But in the beginnings of any, well, I want to say the beginnings, because if we go back to the early church, they had what today we would call forms of psychotherapy. And I think we don't, we don't because we use that term and they didn't use that, it doesn't mean that um, they understood the cure of souls and the care of souls to be tied to the relations between the mind and the heart. And in many ways, I would argue that genuine psychology has its roots in our Jewish and Christian foundation because we are image bearers and as image bearers who are to grow into full personhood, the psyche is such an important element in all that. But so many advances, Dr. Mark, as you know, have taken place in the last 150 years in therapeutic reality that there's much we can glean from. Sadly, I think within um, Protestant circles and and even in our tribes, our personal tribes, there's been a, a, an unfortunate demonizing and distrust of psychology. And I think it lingers from some of the earlier um, 
challenges faced because of voices like Freud. But when you throw the baby out with the bathwater, there's a whole lot you don't realize that um, the early church fathers would have said things this in a different way, but say the exact same things that social science is discovering with data and empirical um research well the very root word of psychology psyche is part of that greek uh new testament terminology of the the threefold being of man is that is mind body and spirit so well it's perfect i i was influenced profoundly in my understanding of inner healing and and the use of uh psychological technique and healing by dr paul walker the late Dr. Paul Walker, who founded Psychological Studies Institute on the campus of a Pentecostal megachurch. Absolutely. So that that adversarial relationship that is assumed by so many is is false and and unfortunate. Yeah, and Dr. I had the privilege of meeting and knowing Dr. Paul as well. He was... uh, precious man oh he was a genius mark i, I we we miss him i miss him deeply oh gosh yeah and, and i've gotten to know his son as well i love his son as well so. yes and his heir apparent there is also a wonderful therapeutic pastor yes absolutely uh uh dr david cooper and uh, and yep. of course uh his his son dr mark walker is now the president at lee yep. university so yeah he's left a tremendous uh tremendous legacy when when you come to this issue of the book you deal with your struggle three really three years mm-hmm. of a of a monumental struggle with depression and anxiety uh, really a battle for your your mind and your your overall well-being yeah. is there a is there a moment is there some kind of a touch point where you say that's where the door on this dark hallway opened that's where I identified as beginning. That's a great question. I think two things uh, that come to mind. One, I have always, um, <laughs> I often say, Dr. Mark, that as an Italian growing up in New York, we New York Italians wrote the book on dysfunction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so there was so much dysfunctional realities in terms of the way we responded in worst case scenario thinking to to life growing up it was it might have been part of this Sharona curse I don't know but Mm. I had you know I had adopted ways of viewing reality that um I had and I had been through inner healing prior to this long before and you know as you know I was I was pretty well known by the time I went through this dark season. So it wasn't like I hadn't come to a place of uh, a certain amount of freedom, but there were some hidden areas of, of fear that, uh, that led to anxiety that culminated at a, a moment in time when number one, um, we were relocating. The church was exploding. And we were in the process of relocation. And in that process, we went through major, major challenges. We had obtained rights to consider a property that we had put a sizable amount of deposit on that we couldn't get back in the southwest part of Orlando. And um, 
and we had already sold our building and were leasing it back from the, the newer owners. And when this other property, when, when the county refused to allow us to do what we wanted to do on this property, we were paying $50,000 a month for, and I had already put quite a bit of money down on as a deposit, personal money, um, quite a bit of personal money. Um, when that fell through and we were weeks away from, uh, having to leave our facility, um, it got pretty intense. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then a door opened up to negotiate on the building we're in now. And that was very intense. And, um, but we eventually got that building, but it was in the Northwest end of the city. And I didn't, and, and it was a building that was, if, if, if we go back to my old building, the old building was a $7,000 a month mortgage. The new building was a $70,000 a month mortgage with an additional $50,000 a month balloon. Oh, nice. So we went from a million and a half dollar building to a $14 million building, but we had the numbers until we moved. Right. Right. So the moment we move from this out, you know, and you, you have been involved over the years. I mean, you did a masterful job here at Calvary Assembly, but I mean, I, you know, you know what it's like to have to walk into a situation and deal with a tremendous financial burden. Um, all I knew was how to help Paul and Jan raise money for the gospel being preached around the world. Um, at a local level, I had no problem receiving offerings, but to bear the burden of mm. a $70,000 a month mortgage with mm. only 400 adults making the transition, losing well over 1,500 adults, giving units as well overnight, um, was, was the first, that was December 2006. That was the beginning of the anxiety. And then from there, the next six months, that anxiety intensified. I would dread being on the property. We had to create a way in which we could manage this. And it was, um, there, there was a lot going on because I, I've, you know, up until the last year or so, I've never taken a salary from the church. So everything I did, I, I made a living uh, traveling and always have. Um, just the way I've done things, I never took a salary from the church in Raleigh either. And so when that anxiety began to build, that was wearing away at me while I traveled. And then I, without getting into too much detail here, because I don't talk about it much in the book for the sake of my family, but both my sons hit the skids um, over a situation that rocked my world that I didn't expect Mm -hmm. would rock my world. And I was down in the Bahamas for Miles Monroe for his annual major conference. And I was sitting there waiting to speak and I got hit with, um, a burst of panic that I had never felt. I mean, the panic was Mm. intense Mm. and I had to endure it and then preach through it. But that night when Miles brought me back to my hotel room, I, I tried to sleep. I could not. And that began, a three and a half year journey with insomnia and anxiety that then led to depression and had to, and having to walk through working the house 
that we were financing through all that and a fundraising program, but then walking through the pain at a personal level with what was going on with my younger son and how it affected my older son. And then how it affected my wife and I being able to manage all that. Sure. And then me still make a living. It was tough. All the trucks all hit the intersection at the same time and you find yourself, you find yourself right in the middle of the intersection. They're all coming at the same time. Yeah. I've always said the ministry is a pretty easy place to get beat up and it's a pretty bad place to get healed. Oh gosh. That is so true. That is so true. Um, yeah, because I think, you know, there's a sense in which people expect you as the pastor. There's this, it's not, it's not that people don't expect you to be human. It's that they expect you, even in your humanness, to be able to cope. You know, you go to a doctor, but doctors get cancer. Doctors, you know, you go to a dentist, they get toothaches. You go to a pastor, a pastor can have many heartaches that, um, that, and, and vulnerabilities that may not show up until certain crises touch their life. And because all of our personal histories are different, um, there's, there's a whole different way in which we all process that. Plus, now you put on top of that, we really do have an enemy of our soul. Yes. And he doesn't play fair. And so the exacerbation of that season by the level of, torment and warfare that I went through in my mind and my heart was at times, Dr. Mark, I, I use the word unbearable. Obviously I made it through, but I made it through purely by the grace of God in a time when I felt God was totally absent. Yes. And I knew enough theology and enough, enough scripture to know that wasn't true, but it sure felt like I had been abandoned by God. You know, because I went through a season like this myself and uh, dealt with it, and maybe not as dark, but uh, that season of the the fear that the house is going to fall on you and that there's right. nothing you can do about it. Right. That feeling of, of absolute um, uh, impotence is a, yeah. is, is a terrifying feeling. And I think that there are pastors, particularly business people too, I spent a year counseling with a businessman, an executive vice president of a major company, and he was passing out, just passing out regularly mm. from nothing but anxiety and fear. Yeah. If you could, if you could say a word right now, there, there's somebody listening right now that they, they are struggling with this gripping fear, this anxiety that, that it's all going to collapse and there's nothing, nothing that they can do about it. What, yeah. What's the first thing you would say to them? Well, the good news is that most of what we wrestle with at a level of anxiety will never happen. So true. But it doesn't mean we don't feel it. So anxiety, it's, it's it, years ago, it was Dr. James Houston. And really, he was at Regent College in Vancouver, one of, one of my heroes in terms of spiritual formation, along with Eugene Peterson, who mm. was one of his fellow professors there. Um, and um, James Houston likened anxiety. He, sa- he said, here's fear and here's anxiety. Fear is you're in your house and the bedroom door is closed because you're not allowed to go in there because there's a lion in there. Mm. That's fear. He said, but anxiety is this purple phantom. It's 
just like a mist and you never know when it's going to show up or where in the house it's going to show up. But when it's going to show up, it's going to totally cause you to wonder if you're going to survive because it's built on what if thinking in worst case scenarios. And I had to learn for the sake of those that are wrestling with that right now, the root of all of this is what if thinking and it's always worst case scenarios. But I had to learn how to accept the fact that I was not the anxiety and that I could allow it to move through me without defining me. Now, that took a while. But once I learned I was not that anxiety, um, I was able then to begin to understand what Paul meant when he said, in all things by prayer and supplication. And, you know, Paul, Paul, when he writes in, you know, I, I know you know this, Dr. Mark, but a lot of times when people read the scriptures and they pull those texts and just apply them without understanding the person who's writing them and maybe the other areas in his own story that we don't think about, the guy that says be anxious for nothing is also the guy that said to the Corinthian church, when I was with you, I was with you in weakness right. and in fear right. and in much trembling. And let's let's not forget Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, be not anxious. And yet this is the one who in Gethsemane, the word therefore anxiety implies such a strain when he begins to allow the effects of what's going to take place in his passion touch him mm. he crumbles to the ground he collapses under the weight of the anxiety of what's about to befall him because he allows himself to experience it fully and he sweats as it were drops of blood his blood pressure goes through the roof mm. and the capillaries at the edges of his skin First. begin to release blood <clears throat> and so the two figures in the new testament that tell us not to be anxious, also themselves endured anxiety. And Paul also, when he's writing to the Corinthians, didn't just endure anxiety, he endured depression. He despaired even of life itself. Yes. And, and so, ironically, Dr. Mark, those things brought real comfort to me, but learning how to real, I felt the anxiety was me. And until I was able to accept me as not being the anxiety. I didn't, I wasn't able to learn how to allow it to pass through me. Such a good insight. I, 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 I think that there are two major things that I, I learned in mind. One is not to catastrophize everything. I could, mm -hmm. I tell you, Mark, I could spin out. I could take one thing. This is going to cause that. That's going to cause that. That's going to, I was in a edge of a panic attack over things that were 10 degrees separated from reality. Yeah, me too. Because I, I catastrophized. Yeah. The other was, and, and it's an egotistical thing in a way, I think, that what I'm feeling is me. I, I am this anxious creature. Right. And, and it's a terribly debilitating reality, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. It, it literally reduces you to a place of, impotence and powerlessness mm -hmm. because you feel like you you cannot it's 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 kind of like the illustration i use in the book 
um, is as a kid, we used to go to Atlantic City from Staten Island. We'd drive down to Atlantic City and we would, you know, ride ride the rides and 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 win the prizes. And often I'd win a, one of those Chinese finger trap prizes. Oh yeah. Well, there's nothing exciting about a Chinese finger trap toy because your fingers literally get stuck in there. And the harder you try to get your forefingers free, the tighter that bamboo weaving tightens its grip. And so you got to be counterintuitive. Push your fingers together and relax so that that thing lets go. And I was doing the very same thing. The harder I tried to resist the anxiety, the more power I gave it and the less powerful I felt. Wonderful. What a great analogy. In your book, uh, let me just uh, give you that we're about to run out of time here, but I want you to deal with this. You say your struggle might seem like a life sentence, but it's only a season. Mm -hmm. To me, that is such an important thing. Just speak on that for a moment. I, you know, when you are in that dark place and I, you know, I, I, I've made a joke about it since because it kept recurring. I felt like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day and it got progressively worse. <laughs> That's but good. I, I made the statement, I've been to hell so many times I wallpapered just in case I have to go back and make it feel like home. Um, but uh, I think there is this rock solid assurance that even if we make our bed in hell, God's hand will lay hold of us. Beautiful. God loves us. And I, you know, I think Dr. Mark, the simple reality, Jesus loves me. This I know. Beautiful. It was when I began to find my way to freedom. Now certain situations had to be alleviated because I was dealing with the stress of them. And that in and of itself wore me out and gave me sleepless nights. But the anxiety, when I began to realize that the anxiety didn't have to define me mm. and that I was loved. Now, I, I, listen, I preached all over the world that I was loved. But I mean, at that moment in that season, because I felt absent from God and God absent from me, the sense of the feeling of love was not there, but I had to come to terms with, am I loved or am I not loved? And I fell on the side of Jesus loves me. That's it. And that began to bring me to a place that if he loves me, he will never fail me or forsake me. And therefore this is not my new normal because the powers of darkness were saying this is never going to change. And, you know, you go, you go far enough in that direction and you just want to check out and go home mm. to be with the Lord. And by the grace of God, I, I walked out of it. It didn't alleviate all the pressures overnight, but there came a moment I, I was able to look back and say, it's over. It's over. It's over. Now, I listen, I still, I'm, I'm human. I still wrestle with anxiety from time to time, but not the same way that I used to. I understand some things that I would have never understood before. And now, Dr. Mark, if anybody talks to me about anxiety and depression, I don't, I, I, I can't turn a deaf ear to that. Right. Um, and I cannot ignore it. I, I, I want to help. I want to help. 
you know, when I came, everybody comes through, you said, Jesus loves me. I, to me, it was the 23rd Psalm. When I came to, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. I said, okay, I'm in this, but I'm not alone in this. Yeah. And it, it yeah. began to turn the tide for me. Yeah. Friends, I, I'm so glad you joined for this interview today with Dr. Mark Cherona. Listen to what he has to say to you. Working with the Holy Spirit, you can find the edge of hope. And that is the title of his soon-to-be-released book, The Edge of Hope. I cannot recommend it to you highly enough, especially for you, but also for those that you care about who need to know that in the, in the long, dark night, the redeemed soul still sings. I love that quote from the book. Dr. Trona, how, how soon will this book be out and, and how can people get it maybe even now? They, they, it will be, Chosen Books is releasing it in July. I do think it's going to be going up for pre-order on Amazon and some of the other sites um, sooner than that, though, so they can keep watch for it for sure. Folks, watch for this book. It's, again, I want to remind you, it's called The Edge of Hope. It is, a, it is a great book. It's an important book. And I urge you, watch for it as soon as it's available. Make sure you get it. Dr. Trona, as we close, there's a question and, uh, that may not relate entirely to what we've been talking about, but I this, this podcast is called The Leader's Notebook. And there's a question I always ask leaders, and I'd like to close with you on it. If you could just speak to leaders, ever political leaders, business leaders, uh, religious leaders, pastors, all many, many of them, thousands and thousands and thousands, but you could only tell them one thing. What What is the thing that you would say to leaders in the, the 21st century? Wow. So regardless of whatever their vocation, Jesus calls us all. Jesus isn't looking for leaders who serve. He's looking for servants who lead. Beautiful. Beautiful. And so for me, Jesus said, where I am, there will my servants be also. Well, where is he? He is at the cross, which is the throne, inviting us to take up the cross, embrace that cruciform lifestyle, and lay our lives down for those that we are called to serve in whatever sphere we're called to serve them. Dr. Tarona, thank you so much for joining us today on The Leader's Notebook. It's been a delight. I hope maybe you'll come back again some other time. I'd be honored, Dr. Mark. I love you very much. And you. And thank you for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed this interview with Dr. Mark Tarona. Until we meet again, remember this. Regardless of where you are, what you're going through right now, you are not alone. Jesus is with you. I'm Mark Rutland, and this has been The Leader's Notebook. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook. 